0: should i start the webinar because it says we're in practice session
1: uh so i would at five two press hit broadcast and just we'll turn our webcams off and put go on mute until and then just kick it off at four okay
0: Oops! I've got it Mm-hmm. I'm just going to, to fill up the water for
1: Any last minute doubts?
2: <laughs> what thoughts and prayers?
1: <laughs> Very helpful always.
2: Do we do the, uh, the the American, you know, the American things? Hair prayer before the
0: Father um, please. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've been, um there's this in kind of along the lines of the Darwin Award, there's been a a thing I've called the Herman Cain Award after the um, that very outspoken Republican. And so it's just basically people posting very outspoken anti-vax people on Facebook who then go on to get COVID and die from it. And the amount of thoughts and prayers that people are asking for, it's like, you should have just asked for a vaccine. It would have worked.
2: I know the wrong...
1: Yeah. Oh, well. Can lead a horse to water.
0: did you say what time should we start the broadcast sorry
2: start the
1: webinar uh if we click it on at five two and cut ourselves on mute and stuff and and then at bang on the dot 4l um Start introducing it and if we just turn our cameras on at the same time, because there's only the two of us. It's fine.
0: Okay.
1: I'll keep an eye on how many people are. Um, through, oh, you had it two miles online as well. Didn't realize.
3: Okay, hey guys, good luck today.
1: Thank you. How are you?
3: Good, good. Yeah, uh, just trying to find petrol.
1: Oh really? Is it that yeah. bad? Yeah,
3: it's crazy. It's. uh There's just, like, miles of queues and um, every petrol station in that local is is obviously out of petrol because everybody thinks that there's a shortage and it's like, for fuck's sake.
1: Well, there is a shortage now because everyone's been an idiot.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: I just don't understand how the government doesn't learn. Like, if you mention panic buying, people are going to panic buy. Just don't Mm. mention it.
3: And part of me thinks it's just a bit of a ploy as well by, you know, the big uh, blue chips trying to get a bit of money out of people as well, right? Create a bit of a, a crazy stir and uh, people will just end up going out and panicking and, and buying shitloads of uh, petrol. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's dumb. It's, it's such a dangerous thing. It's like if you genuinely just need to fill your car up and you're sat in one of these queues like, oh, <laughs> everyone Ooh. thinks I'm an idiot. <laughs> Yeah. Just
2: lady putting it in the um um bags, plastic bags, just filling her I was
0: like, Oh hey, it's so that. That. That, is, <laughs>
1: that, is, that is next level.
0: Oh, dear I,
2: I hope that idiot does not live in my neighborhood because <laughs>
1: Insurance is already high enough.
2: Yes. Well, (laughs) like I wanna like if I if I lived near her, I'd be like, okay, you know what? I'm gonna check into a hotel (laughs) for the next two weeks because you are an idiot.
3: that's gonna set the whole block on fire. (laughs) (laughs) It was like that situation when uh, the pandemic hit last year, and there were like
0: uh,
3: pictures, uh, images of you know people cutting out what are they called like you know the big plastic containers uh, for like water those the big massive water bottle container and and creating like a little sort of like half body helmet uh type of thing and, and wearing it around as if like that's going to protect them from from everything it's like what is the world coming to
1: yeah. <laughs> Oh well,
3: yeah
2: it's always the, the weakest link in a group is the one that takes us down
1: <laughs> once, <laughs> once it is not me
0: oh dear
1: cool right shall we turn um, <coughs> everything off and just let people slowly filter in let's
3: do it good luck
1: guys cheers Talk so to you afterwards Uh, good afternoon everybody and thank you for joining us. Uh, today we're going to be discussing how to leverage workplace data in their, in facilities and real estate planning. Um, I'm going to take you through a brief outline of what we'll cover today um, and firstly we're going to provide some examples uh, into how we've seen real estate and facilities teams leverage data in their short and long-term planning and then we're going to move on and look a bit deeper but what actual reports and metrics that these teams have been using, uh, and how it's influenced their planning and decision making. Um, And then we're going to move on from that and look a bit at kind of the unexpected ways that people find that they can use their data in updating their policy and actually in managing the day-to-day operations of their building. Uh, And then to finish off with, we're going to provide some insights into what it actually means to have an occupancy solution in place, and the kind of, the things that you need to have prepared and the impact it'll have on your employees and the organization. Uh, joining me today as the key speaker is Open Census CEO and founder Yodit Stanton. Um, and by way of introduction, Yodit, if you could provide some insights into what you meant when you, you said this quote that's on screen at the moment, I think that'd be a great way to get kicked off.
0: Hi, David, and and hi, everyone attending. Thank you for your time today. Um,
2: In a sense, hybrid working trends have been, um, they're they're now bubbled up as as the way to work uh, post-COVID. But these trends were already making progress with um, under kind of activity-based working concepts. Um, And a lot of people that have been in this industry for some time have been you know, kind of gradually bringing in activity-based working um, in a lot of corporations. What what COVID really has done is accelerated this shift um, in, in a major way. So five months ago, we surveyed um, just over a thousand people working in different companies all over the world, um, and it is it, you know the the verdict is clear. I think I think everyone's we've got consensus on um, nine out of ten people want to keep. Working from home two to three days a week, mix it with um, office. Um, but they're using the office differently. Um, other, like there's a small minority of probably kind of that uh, le- le- that will want to work completely remote. Others that again a small minority want to work completely in the office. And so the the shape and the way offices are. Are, are going to be designed is is changing greatly. And, and the focus now is how do we understand better what, what people need from the office and how do we um, innovate and, and, and really cater it and make it fit for purpose to the more modern type of working. Um, and that really is comes, it's not cookie cutter, it's not standard, it comes with a deep understanding of um employees both in terms of objective and subjective um understanding um, and, and that really is, is data
1: yeah. i think um what you said there about cookie cutter um and no one one size fits all is a great way to lead into this because what we've got now is two examples um of projects that we've been working through with clients um and hopefully they'll highlight kind of how going into a project with a specific goal in mind and who's actually running it will impact the priorities, the way way they're actually developed and the the results from these projects. Um, So firstly, we're going to have a look at a facilities example, which is the very topical shift to hybrid work. Um, So for this organisation, it means moving away from the traditional one to one desk allocation type environment to a more agile and flexible environment which centers largely around um, the actual desires of employees themselves in how and where they want to work. Um, so, firstly, if you could provide some insight into the internal and external factors which kind of drove the change and made this organization decide to make the shift, that'd be quite helpful.
2: Um, yeah, I, I mean, external factors are, are specifically, you know. The, the acceleration of COVID and, and people really realizing, um, employees realizing there's some really positive impacts um, that they've had in, in remote working. But for the majority of people, they really miss the, the collaborative aspect. So it's, it's taking what works remotely and, and what works for, for office, office working and, and, and figuring out a strategy, how to tie it together. Um, and in a, in a sense, it's
0: this shift has, has kind of, um, really brought about a, a real,
2: um, great change in the way people are going to interact with the types of spaces that are available in the office. If I have a, you know, if I have a desk for focus areas and I, at home, I'm going to keep that, but what the kind of what I'm going to demand of out of out of the office is going to be more collaborative cha- uh, areas, being able to speak to people, do some project work, and so forth. And um, and again, that shifts the way like the configuration of the layout and so forth. Um, so they're using a lot of a lot of data, and, and really trying to understand deeply um the usage and then and then planning ahead for for their
0: projects
1: just quickly do you think um there's a bit of employees kind of thinking well we pivoted very quickly with the pandemic and we're willing to work from home we did all this and we demonstrated that we can and it's kind of like a quid pro quo like we did this now it's your turn to accommodate us a bit have you seen do you think that's a fair statement
2: um yeah, to a degree. And, and also I think the the nature and the way they interact and and the more asynchronous nature and the way they work has changed. It's not just that they've we've done this, but it's going back now and unpicking is is more or less impossible. I think teams have now configured um, to consistently communicate a certain way and mm-hmm. have a different rhythm to the to what they did before. And the organization just has to has to accommodate that. Yeah. Um, it, I and and I and I think, for for the most part, it's positive. There are some downsides, so that it's also kind of understanding quite deeply what the downsides are, and then facilitating um, how to craft policies and yeah. the space itself to ensure that that is minimized.
1: Yeah, it's kind of the you can't put the cat back in the bag type thing. It's it's happened now, so it's just. A case of making sure that it works in the best way it can um and with so many moving pieces so in this project shifting to hybrid work is going to update the way employees are moving around the office when they're in the office what they're doing there and with that many moving pieces what well how many departments and which departments do you think should be kind of key stakeholders in these projects to be successful
2: well, within the the return to office working groups, we're seeing fairly it's fairly consistent. Um, you know, there's obviously uh, you know facilities management and and um, corporate real estate. Additionally, obviously, HR is taking the lead in a lot of these working groups because you know HR has to think about you know retention and well-being and and strategically figure out what that looks like for for their um, organization and and set the policies alongside that um, it is highly involved um, you know between remote and um, on-site let's say off-site and on-site the kind of the, the experience has to be smooth and seamless and already there's been a large amount of investment in um, a lot of a lot of the kind of the infrastructure to enable remote working, and I think that will continue as people come back on site. Um, finance and 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 corporate real estate have a, you know, are now a lot of our customers are in the middle of their lease cycles, so they're now starting to go, okay, how, you know, looking ahead, what is it, what is it that's going to be necessary, what investments are necessary, and what savings are actually possible um, based on what we know.
1: Yeah. So that kind of leads in nicely to the um, the second project, which we're going to mention, which is the um, a corporate real estate-led project, um, largely to do with space allocation, space management. So looking at those leases and using data to make sure that they've actually got the right amount of space and they've got the information they need for any drastic change. So comparing the two, what would you say the kind of difference in long-term goals are between a real estate-led project and, and the previous facilities-led project?
0: I think
2: the, the long-term goals around the forecasting is is really key. Um, consolidation, we're seeing consolidation or shutting down and subletting floors already. Um, and then others, and, and, and then it's not just, it's not just consolidation and, and, and scaling down. Actually, others are taking a different step instead of going for just a central HQ, actually going for a strategy of, of having many satellite offices um, that are nearer um, to people. So in, in, within the survey that I mentioned previously, um, actually a significant percentage, I think it's about 30% are looking to expand their real estate. So I think a lot of people have this misconception necessarily that you know, kind of most organizations um, Real estate would, would dramatically shrink. We're not necessarily seeing that. We're seeing leases, releases um, happen, and, and 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 so on. It's just the strategy is changing, and they're really kind of interrogating um, and working very very closely with internal stakeholders in order to to make these decisions.
1: I think. Um, don't quote me on this, but I think it was Coinbase that said that they were closing their their large central HQ and their projects from then on will be these little like satellite offices. So it might not be a complete change in total square footage, but the distribution of real estate and the purpose of it might be readjusted across quite a few organisations. Um,
2: and, and that has a, a huge impact on on how how FM then go on to, to run day to day services. So I, I think it's, a, it's an interesting shift we're seeing. Um, it's like broadly I think a lot of organizations are slowly shifting and changing but I I don't expect that to to slow down.
1: Yeah so um, just before we move on um, because in both like you said there's going to be overlap between facilities and real estate in all of these um, and it's going to involve building management, policy, actual employee behavior. What if you had to kind of highlight some key key problem areas or challenges which teams were likely to encounter in undergoing these kind of transformations um, which one would you kind of choose to highlight at the foremost
2: the biggest challenge i think is the nature the the kind of the the, the approach that's necessary is the iterative nature um, a lot of things are going to change as we as we progress mm-hmm. as um, we have for example that particular client has um policies where they've allowed people to pick the type of worker they're going to be so between fixed mobile mobile and meaning you know a couple of days in office to fully um, to fully remote and they've asked people to pick um their their profile for the next six months and then in six months time they get um the ability to change Um, their profile or or, or stick with it. Mm. Um, We'll see how it works. I think it's it's an interesting concept. Um, Other organizations are just enabling people to be um, much more dynamic and enabling booking systems and so forth and and come and go as they need to. Um, But what we will see is that we will see the trends going up and down over the seasons. Um, I think people have preferences to work from home more. In the summer months um, and are likelier to go into the office um, in the winter months when it's dark and it's colder and, and it's less kind of ability to be out and about locally. So there'll be an element of seasonality, there'll be an element of projects for different teams that will, that will affect the trends. Um, and this is going to be a constantly kind of evolving situation and, and we're still living with, with COVID at the moment. So um there will also be the external forces that will bring the trends up and down and i think that's the biggest that's going to be the biggest challenge is constantly that, that iteration of um the space and, and and understanding of of you know the standard for today
1: Yep. Yeah. so um, the the last question that we've got here on the slide is um to do with metrics um and to highlight the difference in kind of what teams need to be looking at based on their project um, and the importance of actually catering your metrics to your use case. We've got some examples here of what people looking at the, the first example, so the hybrid working example, might be looking at um, to make sure that it's all going to plan and aligning with their goals. Um, so if you could go, go kind of go through this slide and pick out some key metrics, which you think are really useful and explain why they're so valuable and some insights into the decisions that they enable teams to be more intelligent and evidence-based in making.
2: Yeah, sure. So I mentioned seasonality already. So the kind of the monthly trends is, is a key one to understand seasonality. We're already seeing in certain organizations a vast difference between the trends for August to September. Uh, a, a lot higher occupancy in, in, in September than was in August um, the the weekly occupancy is also interesting because we see um, trends to where people converge in on the office in certain days and then Mondays and Fridays perhaps being ghost towns and again that that defeats the purpose of having kind of these flexible spaces so so there's you know, it indicates that work needs to be done around allocation mm-hmm. and and team allocation and rotations. Um, asset usage is, is a big deal. It's it's really tells you the breakdown between um, the occupancy in different assets types. And again, it's it's around saying, you know, if desks are less occupied, but we've got a high level of occupancy in in these types of spaces, let's shift things around. Um, the for, for lowest and highest occupancy, obviously, that is the peak and and when it's, you know, very, very low and the, the bigger that gap, the bigger really looking at, again, kind of allocation. Um, most organizations are trying to keep the peak under 80 percent, um, really anything above that, you, you really are, are going to run into some problems. Um, so keep it under there. But if the low is really kind of nearly zero, then you, you really have um, some some things to dig into in terms of of culturally or or policy wise
1: yeah if though if that's a very big difference it kind of suggests that what you're setting out to achieve isn't isn't what's happening and something needs adjusting Um, cool we'll move on to the long-term reporting and um as you can see already they're quite different metrics um just even to look at Um, but so these are the ones where you'd be looking at a long-term, and in this case, a real estate-led um, project. So if you could, I guess, do the same again and go through and say why or how each one of these are used, that'd be great.
2: Sure, so the, the I mean, the building stats breakdown is, is um, pretty self-explanatory, but for, for a lot of our clients, they have multiple sites. So it's also looking at across the portfolio um, when making consolidation and, and so on decisions is, is actually, it's important, not just for one site, but for multiple. Um, for me, the desk metrics are are super interesting, um, but the the one that's most neglected by, by a lot of people that, that is most eye-opening is usually the meeting room um, metrics. Um, what tends to happen, and I see this over and over again is, you know, the large boardrooms are consistently used by very small amounts of people and shifting that and really understanding, you know, what is the ideal? Like, is it two-person collaborative spaces? Is it four-person collaborative spaces? Um, at huddle rooms, meeting rooms and so forth. And then how can we take the really underused assets and underused meaning it's used all the time, but it's used by, you know, it's not used to its full capacity. So can we change that around to make it so that um, to cater for, for the majority? Um, and, and meeting rooms, you know, they, are, they take up huge amounts of space and, and they're costly. So efficiency within that is, is super important.
1: Cool. So we by looking at these, hopefully we've kind of shown how it's important to have a goal in your project and then kind of center the data that you want to use around them. But um, what we've seen happen a lot over the last 18 months is that through gathering workplace data, um, you're then able to identify problems which you didn't necessarily even, or you might have known about before, but had no way of addressing, or you can undertake some internal learnings um, or act on external learnings um, and then actually work on implementing those changes within your workplace. So a good example of that, which is really important at the moment with the pandemic. Is the link between occupancy and air quality? Um, so, how would you? Well, what have you seen organizations and kind of, well, just companies doing to act on government guidance um, in terms of well-being and air quality?
2: Yeah, I mean, the there's two sides. So the, firstly, like within any indoor environment, people want to people want to make sure that it's, understand it's safe. So. Within the survey as well that we've published, um, it's, it's a key factor for, for most people, and not just in offices but any indoor environment. Um, what we know from the research and also from government guidelines is, you know, fresh air matters a great deal. Um, the more fresh air there is, the, the, the less kind of virus transmittability, the, 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 um, the less virus that's sim- quite simply in the air. Um, we use CO two as um, a, as a metric for that because you know that's what we breathe out. The more of us that there is in an indoor space that's has low ventilation, the more CO two builds up. So as people come in, um, in not greatly ventilated spaces, you see CO two will be low first thing in the morning, and as people come in and there's there's kind of more breath. At, that's happened you see the buildup so monitoring co2 does it does it actually spike during the day um, it, and if it does then really the kind of the, the air intake has to be looked at pumping more fresh air in um, much at a much higher rate on an hourly basis than, than you would have before it is, is pretty critical if it's fairly low and consistent that means that there's, there's good good fresh air coming in um and, and that from a from a health and safety perspective and from a well-being perspective is key. And 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 it's not just for COVID. I mean, fresh air is is critical for other kind of flus and everything else. So I mean, these changes are positive and, and it's it's going to be long-lasting because it's not just this is not just a let's do something for COVID, it goes away and, and we go back to the way it was. Mm-hmm. Um, seasonal flu and, and colds and so forth, you know, are also um have an impact, So, you know, I, I, th- I think there's going to be much more priority around air quality, indoor air quality specifically um, going forward.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's so to kind of get a grip on that, you need to understand occupancy as well. So you can see how how the increased numbers on certain days. Has not been on, on CO two. So
0: yes. So if if me and you are
2: in an auditorium and a large space, you know the fresh air intake does not does not need to be as high because we're not we're not kind of you know. The, but the more people there in an auditorium, if, if there's two hundred people, um, the fresh air intake much has to be much much higher.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so yes, for sure occupancy has a, it's, it's directly kind of linked.
1: And we, yeah, we've so we've obviously been paying quite a lot of close attention to this as the pandemic has evolved. Um, but these are all things that have so initially there was the whole you have to be two meters apart, uh, and then there was the uh, air quality piece. And it's having these systems in the data in place is pretty key in enabling organisations to actually act on that. It's all very good and well knowing it, but um, being able to do something about it is a very different matter about different matter. Um and well, I would say occupancy solutions and booking solutions combined provide a pretty good safety kit in terms of social distancing and air quality. Um, so if well if you could explain quickly how booking systems and occupancy combined enable uh, facilities and real estate teams to without the physical barriers create a safe space, that could be quite helpful as well.
2: Yeah, so booking solutions previous to COVID was very much a majority, at least, concentrated on uh, meeting rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and meeting room booking is, is definitely very important. But there's been a huge shift and in uptake in, in desk booking solutions um, that, that we're seeing. So it's not just, it's kind of both for safety and practical reasons. The um, The way we've approached it is to kind of minimize the, um, the interaction and make automation built in much more. Um, As an example, you know, uh, the desk, for us, for desk booking, the way we work is we, um, the sensors drive the check-in and check-out process and it's automated. Booking solutions always have a big problem with no-shows, so automating that uh, and, and getting assets released back into um, the portfolio, so others can use it, and, and really making a lot of this stuff seamless is, is super important. Um, what we were finding was clients, you know, early on, were passing around um, who who's attending. Um, And who's going to be in in the office via email and so for contact tracing purposes so again we're ensuring that you know if you know there's an outbreak or somebody's sick you can quickly run reports to understand okay who else has been around so again contact tracing is a huge element Mm -hmm. um so booking solutions have existed but they've they are evolving in a, in a, in a rapidly to take into account these new use cases that have come up.
1: Yeah, I guess it's all, because when we, we spoke previously with um, some HR representatives, Sue Woman and Emma Dutton, and they were very keen on presenting the idea of hybrid work, not as a free all, but as a very, it has to be a controlled environment. Like I said, there are serious risks that can happen if, if it doesn't go well. Employees will get frustrated if they can't access the space they require. Um, and if you come in and it's a wasted journey, it's not only annoying for the employee, but that's actually going to have a significant cost in terms of productivity. So all of these data sources and tools work together to create that seamless environment. Um, which kind of leads on to the final thing that we're going to look at, which is the actual process or impact of uh, data gathering itself um so on the screen in front of you is some basic information about the type of sensors we use um but yet if you could kind of provide a high level summary of how to get started with the actual physicality of doing or in in implementing an occupancy solution and where you start from a goal use case metrics and kind of top-down approach to it that'd be a nice way to finish up i think
2: okay um so at a high level the breakdown in sensors you have your occupancy sensors which are there's many different types under under that and then the environmental side uh, and again there's there's many types um the way you best choose is, is very much use case driven so you know i mentioned the use case around meeting rooms um so for the larger meeting rooms you know understanding the counts of people mm-hmm. fairly accurately that, that are using um, those meeting rooms from a utilisation perspective is, is important. For the smaller huddle rooms, you wouldn't necessarily need the counts, um, but you do, you do want to know, you know huddle rooms, phone groups and stuff, are they used? Do I need more of them? Do I need less? Are we going to have less of them? And so forth. So you go from much more PIR-based understanding. Um, and, and same for desks. You know, really what you're trying to understand is, do I need more, do I need less? have I got my team rotations and my configurations right? Um, So again, kind of the PIR side makes sense. Um, On the environmental side, obviously we've talked a lot about CO2. So there's CO2 sensors and and CO2 temperature and and humidity tends to be the kind of the the class that is around one type of air quality. There's particulates, particulate sensors for um, a different type, um, VOCs and, and so forth. So particulates being kind of dust um, and, and understanding if the filtration system is just um, pumping in kind of more dirty air from outside. Mm-hmm. Um, VOCs is around um, kind of chemicals and so forth. And then the other classes is, is noise um, because some, some organizations are really trying to ensure that there is the collaboration spaces. But if, if for the people that need focus, um, focus areas and focus rooms um, you know keeping noise levels in check is, is, is important um, so it's, it's, it's um, you know the, the use case really drives the sensing and the data gathering um, capabilities
1: yeah and it so just quickly for so people can get a sense of how like what they actually need to put in place to gather this data what's the kind of sensor to report process? How, do, how does that look on a physical sense within an office?
2: Um, so for, for us as a company, the way we approach it is that everything should, should be easy. So for, for our customers, we, we provide the end to end, and that's a decision that we've taken based on just you know making the experience as easy as possible. I know others do it in different ways, but from, from our side we deliver the sensors we create a network um, within the building um, that the sensors talk to. We, we don't talk to you know physical Wi-Fis or anything like that the kind of the human network as it were. Um, there's a standalone network just for the sensors and then um, deploy and you know deliver, um, the sensor deployment and also then deliver the analytics and reporting. Um, it, and, and that decision is because the underlying kind of effect of the technology should be really seamless for the client.' they don't, they don't care about what it is, how it works as such. I mean other than that it's secure and robust but um, they, they really want to understand from my use case, I want to get to this point very very quickly.
1: Yeah cool. Um, right just to finish up then uh, hopefully you've kind of got some idea of these points but there's some key factors for consideration just to end up with Um, the first of which is that gathering data workplace data isn't only useful in terms of your your initial goals but um, you can use it in many other ways it's kind of once the data's there it'll highlight problems that you didn't know you have and you can use it to update your policy and other aspects of your workplace to ensure that the the framework in which people are working is correct um and secondly the it's really important in these environments to ensure that people both employers employees operating within the framework and the teams managing the framework have the tools they need to do so so booking solutions for an example enable employees to access the space they require but then also ease the operational workloads or hr facilities teams who can then take spaces off the system or add them on as guidelines change, uh, reduce, uh, well, automate processes which were previously very time consuming, such as no-shows. Um, it's all kind of feeding into the same process and making sure that the framework is as robust and easy for the employee as possible. Um, taking a bit of a step back, um, what's really important before you actually do embark or start one of these projects at all is having a very clearly defined idea of what you want to achieve. Um, there's no point saying, well, there's very little point in saying to your employees, we want you in, three, th- in the office three days a week, just for the sake of being in the office three days a week. Um, things are changing and employees kind of expect, like they like working at home now, and if they want to come to the office, it'll have to be for something different than what they can do at home. So making sure that the changes you make fit into a long-term project with a, a goal that ties into your company ethos and culture is very important. Um, and finally, uh, the, the sensors, which we've just seen on screen, um, the same PAR will provide the same data, but depending on your goal and your use case, the way you then segre- uh, aggregate or segregate that data, um, or segment that data will depend on the metrics you use and that very much ties into how you get to your goals. Um, so again, it's very important to consider what it is that you want to measure and how you break that data down to support it. Um, so we are, we are actually over time now. But um, thank you very much for everyone for joining. And thank you, Yodit, for your time. Um, if you want any further information, we have an ebook and the report that Yodit mentioned is available to download um, on our website as well. So head there if you have any further questions. Thank you again, Yodette, and thank you for joining. Cheers.
0: Good day, bye.